Warriors almost going to fall for Martinez. Antonov trying to get there. Martinez finishes to give away the match. It's an absolute peach from the Paraguayan, Miguel Almiron. Atlanta United in just their second year of existence have won MLS Cup. Patrick Fallon, Joe Patrick, Night Fan, the Game Drills, Dirty South Soccer is over there. Jason Jones from thestriker.com and MLSsoccer.com is right here. That's me. Joe Patrick, is it replicable? Oh, no, it's not, but <laughs> that doesn't matter right now. I don't want to talk about that. I mean, we're going to talk about that. You don't want but... to be a colossal bummer for the <laughs> yeah. entire podcast like I was planning on being? I mean, it's brave of you, but you stick to that, man. Oh, wow. If, if, if you were planning on doing that, then I think it's going to be a very interesting podcast because... Uh... I don't know. I'm getting a little bit annoyed at at that, but that's well, see, okay. That's okay. I wasn't going to I was, be because you I told was, me that I, you're getting annoyed with. See, it. I was going to launch like hmm? <laughs> I was going to launch into this episode. Be like, are you not entertained? Like, isn't that what this is all about? It was, it was pretty fun <laughs> last night. I think people should remember that they had a good time. I was having a good time. I think a lot of people I saw in the stadium last night were having a good time as they were leaving the building. So, I too had a good time, and I'm not going to be a total bummer. This entire podcast, I, I make no promises for for the very near future. But you it guys should be, it be happy. Be, it wouldn't be us if we weren't at least a little bit nitpicky about <laughs> what happened. Gotta be right. Gotta be. Either way, no matter what we think, uh, what we complain about, Atlanta United two one winners in their very first game of the season over the San Jose Earthquakes. Tiago Almada puts the entire team on his back and. The most significant way you will just about ever see in a soccer game. We're going to get all that and more. But first, thanks to Kurt Castle on the intro. The song is Chances. Check out Kurt wherever you find music. Uh, a couple of housekeeping things. Of course, check out the Patreon. Patreon.com slash Five Stripe Final. Uh, training ground reports where me and Joe talk to folks at the training ground. Have live stuff there. Uh, should have... Plenty of relevant stuff from the back catalog from the offseason. Still very, very relevant. Uh, we're going to have, I think, Jarrett Smith yep, from Soccer Down Here he coming on this week. He today, so Beautiful. he'll be on Jarrett's amazing. If you aren't familiar with Jarrett, big, I believe he's a Celtic fan. He's a Celtic, right? Yeah, yeah, Celtic fan. I was talking to him last night about Yakimakis, and that's what part of the reason why we want to bring him on is to kind of give us some background on him, since hopefully we'll be able to see him this coming weekend. Y'all will like Jarrett a lot if you haven't heard Jarrett before. A uh, lot of info on Yurgos, of course. And probably very relevant. Your ghost information, I would imagine that visa gets done soonish. I'm not going to say a date because people are going to be mad at me when it doesn't happen. Yeah. But it's if we're going on the same timeline as Louisa Brom, soonish, right? Yeah. Soonish. Actually, Chip Patrick, why don't we talk about that right now in business time? It's business. It's business time. First things first, the jingles are back. The jingles are back. It's it's that time. It, it just feels right, you know. It's like the rites of passage, the rites of spring to hear the business time mm-hmm. jingles. Love it. Oh, wait till you that's hear all, my sports. That's all. Game that's time all Sam's creative ambition too, right there. So thank you for those. Uh, and thank you to fly the Concords. We are not like paying you guys for that <laughs> right. at all. Yeah, don't, no one tell them. No but. one tell fly to the Concords. But also, if you know fly the Concords, that's that's pretty cool. Get yeah. get at us. Yeah. Business time, Joe Patrick. Uh, still waiting on Yorgos' visa, like we said. I will, you have expected this week, in quotation marks here, uh, yeah. on the show sheet we have in front of us. I think that's totally fair. If it's not, probably going to be the week after that. It, it feels like soon at yeah. this point. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's it's worth noting the fact that Elaine and I was playing without Yakamakis this week because there was a noticeable gap at the striker position. So... For as much as uh, we will criticize the, the team for some of the, their shortcomings in this game against San Jose, I think that it's worth mentioning that a large part of that was down to the fact that they were still dealing with this just lack of key player in a key position in this game, which is what they dealt with all last year. And I think that if we're going to compare like why the team maybe looked somewhat like they did last year, I think that perhaps having the same issue in that position is one reason why. <laughs> Well, we're going to talk about this more in Sports Prime Game Time, of course, but yeah. just to add to that real quick, 
if the team looked to you a lot like last year's team, it's because the starting 11 last <laughs> night was last year's team. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Right. Good, point. Uh, Good point. I It hit me this morning. I was like, well, wait. It was. It's None actually, of the new guys was, in the it, starting lineup. We're going to talk about it. It was the first time last year's team has won without Ozzy Alonso in the lineup. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly right. Yes. Exactly right. Oh, we'll get to it. We'll get to it. Uh, speaking of Ozzy Alonso and other central midfielders, uh, Santiago Sosa still has one more game left on that suspension. We're going to talk about the central midfield, of course, and sports from game time because that's just our prerogative. That's how we roll on this show. And yeah, it, they're going to need Sosa back, but it, it could have been worse. We'll talk about it more. But one game left on the Santiago Sosa suspension before he's back. He seems healthy. Uh, it seems good to go. I would expect him to start as soon as he's ready. Mm, yep. I got nothing else on that. Cool. Let's move on to something more interesting and then something very surprising for us as journalists to have this information to to give to you guys and that the team also just kind of gave to you guys. It's been interesting to notice an increased level of media transparency since Garth Lagerway has arrived as club president. And it's not that Darren wasn't necessarily forthcoming about things it just feels like it's been amped up especially in regards to how the roster is constructed and how the team operates in constructing that roster he's been very open again i think i mentioned this the other day that like sometimes you're like wait should you be saying this right now <laughs> garth oh man okay look they, they went ahead and gave us the rosters for this year the full roster but what they did is they took the extra step of not only designating International slots, TAM players, DPs, U22s, young DP. They also gave us the length of the contract. Yeah. Right? That's never been done before, I don't think, in the history of MLS, where teams have openly given the length of the contract, right? We have those. They are the full contract that includes the option years. So we don't know when the option years are. So, for example, if the contract goes to 2025 and there are option years for 24 and 25, it just says contract through 2025. It doesn't say option year for those two years. Make sense? Oh, cool. okay. Yeah, that does make sense. Because I had a, I, I was thinking about it differently, which will be good for the audience. Because I was thinking about it like they might have con- they might have options beyond the years that were listed. I did that too, and then I tweeted about it, and Team Comms Mister said, "Hey, can Perfect. you read?" And I went, "No, <laughs> yeah, no, I can't okay. read." I've never been able to read. Awesome. Um, so clarification there. I hope I'm getting that right at this point. If not, we'll like I don't know, put <laughs> we'll, a correction in the show notes yeah, or something like that. Yeah. Show um, notes. There's a lot yeah. of really we'll, interesting <laughs> stuff there. Um, real, real quick, I just want to mention like I think why they're doing this. One, they understand the frustration with why the roster has been bad in Atlanta over the last few years. Mm-hmm. Two, they want us to understand why uh, they feel like they have been tied a little bit by the salary cap, right? Tied up a little bit by the salary cap and have had maybe issues bringing in certain players and everything like that. And three, I think they just, I think Garth just values this stuff, you know? Yeah, yeah. And that's awesome. It improves our understanding of the league, which improves your understanding of the league, which improves just your general grasp of all things MLS. And that's important for growing the game. And, you know, it's appreciated, and I hope more teams around the league take notice of it. Yeah, we brought this up on the 929 pre-game show I was doing with Andy Bunker before the game yesterday from 5 to 7. And, um, you know, it's just one of those things where, like, in the NFL, kind of being the armchair GM and, you know, trying to figure out your own way to to build the roster, add players, make the team better. Like, that's what, you know, kind of being a fan is for a lot of people. And if that brings people into the game, if that helps people engage with the team, if that helps kind of create a bond then that's getting a customer basically you know like you're you're uh-huh. you're getting somebody in the door so any way that this team can invite more fans in uh is a positive and i think that that's part of what this helps do it just gives you more opportunities to get involved and understand the team on a on a deeper level there was a certain point in my mls fandom where the roster rules started to click for me and I went, oh, this mm-hmm. actually makes sense. Let me kind of process how teams develop rosters and who's good at it and why. And once I cross that threshold, I find all of it really, really interesting. Mm-hmm. But it took me like four it's, years to MLS, cross that threshold. Tough. Yeah, in MLS, it's, it's really, tough. really difficult. Yeah. Uh, hopefully one day they simplify that. I think Garth might be on the forefront of kind of pushing for that 
eventually mm -hmm. as well. But let's go through these right quick. We won't go through every player. Some of the stuff we already knew and just kind of it provided clarification on that. Uh, some of the stuff is new to us, though. For example, we can start right off the top with Luisa Brom, who takes up a senior roster spot. But notably, on a TAM deal, we mentioned that his reported transfer fee was somewhere around 200K to 300K. Uh, that's practically nothing as far as amortizing that over the length of a contract, which runs through apparently 2026, you know, so that's basically a free transfer. I mean, it's a salary is pretty, it's a pretty hefty salary to be on a TAM deal, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, it, it feels kind of surprising, honestly, that he's that high, but it, it kind of indicates maybe potentially what the team thinks of him and what other teams think of him and his kind of pedigree i mm -hmm. think does that make sense yeah yeah totally i thought that actually the same thing with Derek etienne jr being on a tam deal um what was do you remember or no he was a free agent signing right free agent signing. so that means so, his salary is you know well above doubled from what it was last year probably tripled yes. actually if not more close right uh can't do the math but um 175k last year for Derek. the max budget threshold this year is 651k um so he's gonna be making <laughs> by the free agent rules that we just found out about literally three days ago thanks to the cba finally being released <laughs> the one they signed like a, a couple years ago thanks to that cba finally being out we know that he's making somewhere between 651k and 25k more than that that's oh, the max okay. he can make okay so we have a pretty uh, good based on that's pretty mm -hmm. narrow range okay very narrow range so based on his salary last year he's in like the tier one of free agents and the max you can give them is 25k above what the max budget charge is okay okay does that make sense yep totally cool yep um there are three tiers of free agents based on what their salaries are we won't get into it all you need to know is that Derek, uh tam deal and what you a, know what what a random rule 20 you like for twenty five thousand dollars <laughs> above the max budget charge like, what the hell straight up no <laughs> idea how they settled on that really really weird. My, my favorite mls rule is the uh fines for suspensions like you know you get suspended for random things not like red cards but like for um you know yellow card accumulations and things you you, you get suspended for a game and the, the fine mm -hmm. is like 150 dollars <laughs> <laughs> cool yeah. cool like what is it i gotta go buy some xbox games Don or what that or something like yeah, xbox <laughs> uh yeah sorry I, I sorry i'm taking no us idea. off track here yeah no it's, it's just it's all strange it's all strange um what else do we come on to hit here as i'm looking through this oh i will i want to say real quick though i, I want to say that you know i thought that the original rules for free agents were like you can only offer like 125 percent of a salary you mm -hmm. know and that still is kind of true i don't want to talk about it um but do you still feel okay about etienne being on the team and being a free agent signing even with the tam deal instead of him being like 400k or something like that like we thought he about me yeah i do i do i yeah. mean and it you know it, i say that and it's hard to be precise because we haven't seen him play much yet and so it's hard to mm -hmm. actually determine kind of what value he's actually going to add for the team but i mean if you think about it in the way that you know tito vialba he was like kind of, he's kind of right around that tito vialba kind of contract um if he can provide Tito Vialba's kind of production, obviously he'll be, you know, well worth that money. But even if it's not, even if it's like somewhat similar production, I think it'll even be worth it. A lot of good or I'm sorry, there are a lot of bad players. Every team pretty much will have average to bad players that are overpaid, you know, so mm. um, like Mateus Rosetto is in this range too sure. so yeah, yeah, like absolutely. i think i i think that a guy like Derek etienne will be more productive for the team than someone like Mateus Rosetto is so in that sense i think it's somewhat valuable yeah blind test i mean if you told me a guy was coming off a nine goal six assist season and was tam you know i'd be like yeah yeah totally yeah, yeah, makes yeah. sense plus makes he, sense. just the locker room vibes from him are already quite high <laughs> so he's already adding that too extremely we're gonna talk about the locker room in a little bit i thought it was super interesting last night let's get through these even more as we kind of go through this uh miguel barry's on a one year that's not surprising uh we knew ozzy alonzo was on a one year uh andrew gutman only running through 2024 is a bit surprising uh, i bet he's going to get a big payout if he sticks around in atlanta that that's my gut call and it might happen right soon mm -hmm. um brad gazan 2025 uh, Franco Aparra and Eric Lopez both through 2025. I do not know again 
if those are option years or what, but it's interesting to see those U22s locked up that long, uh, especially considering that some folks might be keen to, to move on from those U22s. Uh, just something to keep in mind. Joe Patrick, anything else you kind of want to point out uh, before I point out that Brooks Lennon's on a TAM deal? Um, no, not really, other than the fact that it's interesting to just look at the supplemental roster and you see, oh, it's like basically all homegrowns, <laughs> which is great. <laughs> like, that's ideally what you want. You want homegrowns to kind of occupy as many homegrowns as possible to occupy those slots. Also, one other thing to mention is uh, there's two open slots on the senior roster. Um, Garth had already mentioned, I think, to you and Doug uh, during the scrum day with him that I missed that they're going with 18 players on the roster. He did say, like, this is, don't expect them to fill these two roster slots. The team is basically finalized with 18 senior roster players. The reason is because they can pay those players more than if you were to add the two extra players. You would have to pay everybody less. I do have some insight on that, by the way. Ravi Ramadani, who uh, is now with Source Football and who was Seattle's analytics guy for the majority of Garth's tenure and eventually ran the salary cap for them and everything like that. Uh, messaged me. I was like, yeah, this is, this is just how Garth does it. This is what we did in Seattle. I think it's, it's smart. effective and it's smart, you know, especially if you have the homegrowns on the bench that are able to provide, you know, good enough value for you rather than having to pay a couple extra players at the bottom of the roster. Yep. Totally. Totally. Jeff Patrick Brooks Lennon's on a TAM deal. Yeah, that's some, that's certainly something. That's certainly something. I think we I think we knew he was going to be near there based on what his salary was right. before his contract extension uh, and what it would have to be for him to probably sign to that resign. extension. Yeah. You yeah. know. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's interesting to get clarification on that though. Um and I will say as cryptically as I can that a person whose opinion you dear listener would value messaged me to to be like, "Oh wow, that's a uh, that's way more than they've offered other people." Yeah. In the past, and I think in particular, my first thought was, well, you know, they sure they sure didn't offer a TAM deal to Julian, I don't think. Yeah, definitely so, not. In fact, you know. Carlos, I remember at the time Carlos was like, listen, we could have been jerks about this. Kind of like he, what he was saying with Joseph. He said something very similar. He didn't say jerks, but he was like, listen, he's like, we could have just offered him 125% of his current contract and kept Julian around. He would have had to have played for us. Obviously, there's a whole lot of issues and with doing that. Um for a player, but yeah, I think at the end of the day, honestly, it was like they basically didn't really rate Julian Gressel as highly as the general MLS market did. So that's why they ended up selling him and swapped him out with, with Brooks Lennon. And, you know, this is the way forward. I will say that I don't think that this contract, I, I there are people who will make a big deal about this. And I think they're probably right on the merits that, you know, so-and-so's overpaid based on the value they add to the team versus the portion of the overall salary budget that they uh, earn. But overall, I don't think praying Brooks Lennon, this kind of, you know, low TAM deal is going to be something that makes or breaks a, a team, the Atlanta United team from being like a championship contender or not. No, I don't think so. I don't think so. It does feel like I, it's another one of those things where it's like the Hosetsu extension where I'm very curious if they would have done it. If, mm-hmm. Garth was there yeah, already. That's, yeah, yeah, definitely a good point. And again, I'm surprised that it happened before he got there. Yeah. To be honest. I'm just always going to be a little curious about that. Uh announced the part wire where I apologize for reducing people to numbers. And I know it is being sucks. a jerk about I, things. Yeah. I feel terrible, it but it it's sucks. part of the the way we have to talk about these things. Yeah. So yeah. one. This is why sorry. if you're a player, you should never listen to this kind of stuff. Never, it's ever. Terrible uh-huh. for your mental health. No. And probably how you be. play on the field. Would, I mean, I can't yeah, imagine it would help. Well, this whole show is probably terrible for everyone's mental health, but here you are. Here you are. Joe Patrick, anything else to add from the contract? Release? No, I feel like we buried the lead. Let's get into this game. Joe Patrick, this is Sports Prime Game Time. Sports Prime, Sports Prime and the Game Time. Sports Prime and Prime and the Game Time. I've actually recorded this Joe Patrick, is it replicable? No. Uh, Tiago Amato will not score 70 goals this year. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to lay, no? yeah, lay down a marker and say that right now. Um, I do. So I, I do think one thing, though, which is that, you know, a lot of people are saying, like, you can't lean on Tiago Amato in every game to do this. Well, like, of course, he's not going to score two goals, but also he's one of the best players in the league. He's an MVP contender. And any player who has a player like that is obviously going to run 
everything through them and that player mm-hmm. because of they're so good is going to dictate like to their team like they're that's just how it works like nobody argued that uh tata martino's teams ran too much through miguel amron you know it's just like <laughs> that's just the way it yeah. happens so he's always going to be a crucial part of this team and if he's ever missing games because of an injury or something this team's going to be sorely missing him yeah there's there's no backup 10 i don't know if you <laughs> yeah. all actually noticed that one of, one of my criticisms last year that you may bring up a great point was that maybe Tiago Amato should have been on the ball more. Yeah. You know, and, and should have worked through him more. Somewhere similar to, to how New England works at Carlos Heel and Minnesota did work through Babel Reynoso before he disappeared off the map. You know, it should be one of those things where he is just the primary option at all times. He, he's just that good at this point. What we saw Saturday was on the field, like truly special. Yeah, you know, even it's one be- of those things where, like, I had to stop after the game, just put my hands on my head, and just kind of look around and, and and take it in for a second. Yeah, even before the goals, like the way that Atlanta United was playing was basically, you know, when they were out of possession and they were starting something in the attack, it was kind of, you know, pass the ball around, filter the ball around until and and just try to find Almada in some space. And as soon as he was able to do that. And he could like shrug off one guy who had a chance to stop him. Then he was kind of off to the races, carrying the ball forward. It kind of did remind me of the way Miguel Almiron would play when he would just get that green grass ahead of him. And then you would just get these kind of runners stampeding forward. I actually think, you know, so we're going to, we have criticisms, obviously, of the way the team played in this game. I, maybe I'm wrong here, but I actually thought they were pretty good in, in like these kind of, first uh four fifths of the field it was just like that 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 the line you know the 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 front the top line of the box it's like that line was where nobody wanted to seem to run in behind that they hardly ever got the ball into the box but I really thought they were in some really good positions to penetrate they would just all kind of stop their runs because they wanted to kind of keep themselves on side and I think there was it comes down to some uncertainty between the players just on kind of what the passes were going to be made and that kind of thing. I had that same conversation with Matt Doyle back in like July. You know? <laughs> right. Yeah. It's one of those things. They've been great at getting to the final third for a while. You know, even, you know, I think Frank Gobar did well and build up at times in progressing the ball forward mm-hmm. last night. Better than maybe we would give him credit for yeah. in most cases. You yeah. Know? Obviously, Almada solved a lot of problems. He's extremely press resistant. You know, they they get there, and then, like you said, it, it stalls out. But the caveats there, of course, are that Derek Etienne Jr. did not start this game, and that Yorgos Yakamakis is is not in the lineup, and also that Santiago Sosa, who's another great ball progressor, uh, mainly with his passing more than his press resistance, you know, wasn't in the lineup. You know, we mm-hmm. we were looking at a team missing four starters. Mm-hmm. last night when the game began uh eventually added two more right but they were missing guys they were missing guys and so i said this earlier in the week you know that they were probably gonna lose this game i know i definitely i thought they were gonna lose and you know what they probably should have it's yeah. it's frustrating because you uh, look at how things were going last night and it just felt way too familiar in the sense that they gave up an early goal. They started to gain control of the game. They couldn't get through San Jose's low block, even though they had them pinned in for a really long time, and they got stuck taking a lot of really bad shots. Joe, the I think they had three chances. Three chances. They had 19 shots. Three chances that were above league average XG. You know, So that's mm-hmm. the league average XG is like .10 per shot. You know, mm-hmm. and like the best chance was 0.12 XG. Yeah. It's not a clear cut chance. It's a decent chance. That's not a clear cut chance. Yeah. At some point during the game last night, it might have gotten worse actually with the Almada shots technically. They were having <laughs> yeah, something probably. like 0.06 XG per shot. It was atrocious. Yeah. Yeah. Almada's last yeah, two man. shots, they were uh, 0.04 and 0.05, I believe, were the last, the final <laughs> so two. Yeah, it, it got worse. It <laughs> yeah, got worse in yeah, that regard. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, and so, you know, if he doesn't, if he doesn't pull off something damn near impossible, we're probably pretty grumpy after last night. Not because they lost, because of the manner mm-hmm. they would have lost in. Mm-hmm. You know, and the fact no doubt. that they had spent the offseason talking about fixing the pot shots, you know, and fixing the early goals. And then, then it didn't happen. Yeah. So on its face, that is some of the framework we're working with. Yeah. The other part of it is 
they want. <laughs> so who are we to complain about anything? You know, especially in game one against a team that's better than I think a lot of people are going to give them credit for initially. And in a game where like, so even the first goal they allowed, I, like, yeah, it's frustrating. Like early goal. It happened again. The defense wasn't bad. Like someone, I saw someone get on Franco Ibarra and he loses his runner, but he moves forward into a position to cut off the low. Right. He was, cross. he didn't just stop and stand in the middle, like just like stand by himself, like not paying attention. Mm-hmm. And that's the right move yeah. in that situation, because at that point there was no way for the ball to, to go high, essentially to get to someone's head behind him because there were a couple people in front of him. The only way that it was going to be in a dangerous position was if uh, Espinoza played a cutback. You know, mm-hmm. it just magically happened to skip off Andrew Gutman's leg, go in between his legs, and fly up into the air to Jeremy Bobasi, who made a great run that probably would have been pretty pointless in most cases. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. So, like, remember, I did an article for the Striker where I broke down how goals were scored against Atlanta United mm-hmm. last year. So many of them were individual mistakes Mm -hmm. or what I would call like team wide critical errors. This was not that. Yeah, yeah, not at all. They just got beat by a good team right there. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And Andrew, even Gutman, like he didn't get beat by, I think it was Espinosa mm -hmm. on the cross. Like he didn't get beat. He just, like, you know, the cross was put in in front of him. He was actually in a decent position to try to block that cross or do something. Obviously, it kind of deflects off him. So, yeah, I mean, it's hard to, it's hard to be too too critical and honestly when you again this is like one of those problems about looking at xg in such like a you know xg ideally is supposed to be used in a large context of looking at a lot of games and when you use it for like a one game scenario it's like yeah this play that atlanta you know maybe they could have done better in some circumstances but they also just kind of got were unfortunate creates a very high expected goal chance for uh for san jose um obviously Atlanta's own XG is also thrown off by the fact that they have the goal. So there's like all these little mm. thing, the, these little discrepancies that throw these things into out of whack. But uh, yeah, you're right. I mean, it was, it was unfortunate though, and it was frustrating though, just because I feel like that's when that first feeling started to set in of kind of the the reminders of last year was. Did like you feel the, it in uh, the crowd? Comes. I yeah, noticed it. Yeah, totally. Yeah, totally. The boo. I mean, there was some booing even after it, which I because well, I think we'll I think, talk about Louise. I think that came straight from yeah, yeah. Because I think it just comes straight from those memories of last year. So yeah, an understandable, like understandable to be frustrated by that. Again, I think we would have been a lot, lot grumpier, even if this was a draw last night. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, fortunately, we got to see one of the most impressive but, things we've seen in club history. This is one of the reasons, though. I want to, I do want to, like, kind of maintain my optimism in general and my kind of happiness with the result is because I also don't like talking about how great the team was when they lose a game, you know, even like if they mm-hmm. should have won it. And that's uh, like a lot of what we heard from the team, like Gonzalo Pineda and a lot of the players last year was like, Oh, we played great. We just didn't win. You know, um, we created more chances. We, you know, look at the XG. We had more XG, but we didn't win the game. Um, I don't like talking that way either because the game does come down to results. And so the reason why we do dig into some of this stuff is because you do want to determine like just exactly how you kind of teed off this conversation, which was, is, is it all sustainable? And that's obviously what we kind of want to understand more when we talk to each other and break this stuff down and why fans talk to each other about this stuff. But um, mm-hmm. yeah, it, it, it's, it's one of those things where I do think it's important to just be, be happy with the with the win because <laughs> you know you did do some things to, to deserve it too at the end i thought the team was really giving it everything at the end and if you look at the speaking of the xg if you look at the race chart like san mm-hmm. jose had nothing after like the 50th minute i don't think they had another shot like it, at some yep. point early in the second half they never had another shot on goal so 52nd minute on 52nd no minutes okay yeah for, for san jose joe patrick 56th minute uh in comes Derek etienne jr in comes miguel berry you know, then, you know, I thought Caleb was good. I did, yeah. Last night. So, yeah. I want to talk about this because I've been hard. I've had a hard time kind of justifying this because I did think the team was way better when Derek came on. I thought Derek played really well, but Caleb was also playing well. He also, he, I mean, he was better than Louise. I was talking about it when we were expecting the subs to start coming in. I was like, would, you know, would Gonzalo consider bringing in Derek for Louise? Because I thought at the time that may have been the better option to go to. 
after the fact, we, you know, Gonzalo said that Caleb was, was cramping up, so he had some fitness issues and stuff. So uh, we learned more about it after the fact. But it's hard for me to understand why Derek is better, despite the fact that Caleb looked so threatening in the first half. And I think he was contribute. He kind of it was Gutman that created the handball with the cross, but I think it was a kind of an overlapping situation with Wiley. And I thought that they um, were doing a really good job there, uh, kind of with those those threats down that wing. I think it's it kind of comes down to a different type of positioning where you have Derek more inclined to be heels on chalk yeah. kind of guy, be be on the touchline, be out wide, kind of creating that space. Uh, but in general, he might just be more dynamic than, than Caleb at this point. Uh, he was consistently making runs. He was showing up in different spaces. I, I think it was really interesting to kind of – and I want to go back and watch this more, but it seemed like he adapted to what was happening and began to kind of problem solve on the kind of runs he should be making to help the team because he would end up in, in certain spaces that really benefited the team once he figured out where to get to. Like sometimes he would end up central. Like when he ended up central and won the final free kick, I was kind of like, wait, why was Derek there mm-hmm. <laughs> in the first place? You know, mm-hmm. but it sets up the free kick that wins the game in a great spot. Uh, he ended up in all these really excellent, positions and I think it's just kind of an understanding that Caleb will grasp over time Derek seems more like agile and he like kind of like rubbery can kind of like manipulate his body and the ball and and shield the ball and has a little bit more of a natural um just ability with the ball as where Caleb is more physical stronger actually just like a more like stronger physically physical body uh more direct player can kind of really create that vertical leverage with his speed and create a different kind of threat but it's I think a nice option for Gonzalo Pineda that he has these two kinds of left wingers that have their own kind of unique qualities and I think what we at least learned is that both can you know uh, provide value and and be potent in those positions for the team over the course Mm -hmm. of the year and on top of that everyone on the left side has been a left wing back at some point in their life yeah oh has Derek Mm -hmm. oh I didn't know that so they've got quality defensive tendencies as well, you mm-hmm. know, and, and just a really excellent understanding of how to make positive things happen, which I, I think has been lacking at times uh, with Atlanta United. And I think it's a great segue into what happened with Luis Uju last night, who has this great preseason. Everyone's doing the Bo Nicks. He's focused. He's having fun. He could be a dark horse contender for a Heisman bit, but like in real life, and unironically. And you start thinking, First college okay, football well, reference of the, of the show. Yeah, we made it. We did it. Um, and, uh, you know, you're thinking like, okay, maybe he's mentally found ways to succeed in a way that he has not since he's been in Atlanta. And he skies the first shot whatever right like he's like you're like oh god he took a shot from outside the box that's Mm -hmm. annoying but maybe the next one will be closer misses that one too is outside the box and then he gets the penalty andrew wins the penalty and you're like okay well joe patrick i'm gonna tell you this actually (laughs) (laughs) i i on god i swear this is true i was about to lean over to you and say hey (laughs) see that car over there there's a car behind the supporter section i bet he hits it (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> there was just some kind of weird tension yeah. in the building and, yeah. and all of it just felt off and yeah. so when he missed you went one oh no two oh god that wasn't that surprising was it yeah it's funny you say that because i remember thinking i had this weird feeling came that came over me i don't know if i should have been expecting louise to take the penalty but for some reason i was just kind of i wasn't thinking about who might take it and then i kind of like, okay, who's taking it? Louise? Louise is taking it? Because he had just missed those shots. And there was one of them. Mm-hmm. I think it was the shot that he had taken relatively soon prior to that penalty. And it was a actually a decent opportunity. I know it was, like, outside the box, but it, it was a really nice position to score from. And it wasn't even close. I mean, that's the one where I mentioned it, Rob. It was, like, making the joke about where the Ohio State kickers kick ended <laughs> and, like, that thing. Um Sorry, bud. And so I felt like, and there was like a, there was a note, there was a kind of groan from the crowd when that shot happened. And, uh, and I was thinking, man, man, that I think that that's probably still in his head. He seems like a player to me that like, I'll, I'll, 
I'll stake myself to the like he has so much talent, and I feel like he almost like gets in his own head. Um, like he's got to be perfect on all these things instead of just keeping the game simple for himself. And I think that that penalty, I mean, that's kind of describes it to a T. I mean, just put the ball in frame, you know, no, no reason to really, you know, to, to put it that close to the edge and the stutter never inspires confidence in me personally. (laughs) Uh, I think Tiago Amato would be the better penalty taker. I would much rather see Tiago Amato take penalties for this team. It's either Tiago's ball from here on out or Yorgos's ball. Yeah. 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 Hopefully Yorgos takes them. I think that'd probably be the case, but even so, I mean, he kept shooting after that. What's that thing? Is it Ray Allen? Who's got the thing about like, I would rather see the guy go like one for 21. Cause at least they went, kept shooting. <laughs> he kept shooting. You know, yeah. it was a terrible idea. No one do that. <laughs> yeah. You know? uh, but well, well, he did I, keep shooting. I, so I actually, I, I thought it affected him through the rest of the half. Uh, he like it was weird after that he kind of like dropped back into like a right back position he started playing like his general positioning in the team was way deeper it was almost like he just like didn't want to be involved for a little bit um but in the second half he came on and he was still like he was making things happen in transition in the attack like i don't think he played poorly in every area but yeah the shot selection it was almost like at the beginning of the game he was cognizant of it and wanted to try to not do what he ended up doing and then he like relapsed at like some point it just went Mm -hmm. like full on like bender i'm going in (laughs) taking all these (laughs) spot shots (laughs) uh well i mean you've got a i didn't see him in the locker room after the game did you i didn't notice where he was yeah i didn't see him they didn't have did you notice the names weren't up in the locker room like they didn't have the the, notice that i mean everyone like had their spot yeah everyone had their lockers but i don't know if they're gonna change those at some point when your ghost comes in maybe i don't know yeah a little odd a little odd um i was told his body language after the penalty miss was pretty rough um the quotes afterward from gonzalo pineda were like Oh man, it sounded like when you talk about like your friend after a break. It was almost like too much. Yeah. <laughs> it's like he's got he's got a support system oh, that he, loves him. He's down bad. <laughs> We're gonna get him through this hard time. You know, yeah. it's one of those kind of deals. Yeah, he he won't like, have a bad season. Good. Like he's too good to have a bad season. His yeah. work rate every day in practice is why he won't have a bad. You know, it's like yeah. kind of laying it, it on know, too I, thick to here. some extent. I still think that's maybe true. Yeah, but I do. I, mean, I know. I do too. I again, I, I'll still say it. Like the talent is totally there. Totally, he's just got to figure out. I, I tweeted this last night. It's like there's a disconnect between how and why good things happen in soccer games, mm-hmm. and until he figures that out, he's just not going to be effective. Mm-hmm. You know, and I don't know if that's on. That's it's on him. Right. Because I don't think I know for a fact the coaches aren't telling him, hey, it's time to get the driver out and, and hit 30 yard bombs. You know, <laughs> I know they're not saying that. They say multiple times each time we talk to them, like we want better chances, all that kind of thing. We've mm-hmm. seen them get better chances during preseason. So it's really frustrating. I think it's in his head. And, you know, if it doesn't get corrected, Palmeiras is nice this time of year. <laughs> right, yeah. I mean, if it doesn't yeah. get corrected, then the conversation is going to turn a lot darker in terms of yeah. his tenure in Atlanta. But for sure, he needs I, to go I back and rewatch that that Did first you? goal he ever scored for Atlanta United. That first game against SKC last year is the kind of movements that he needs to be making, where Joseph hits a like flicks it into him as he's running mm. in behind. Like that's how he's going to be successful, right there. Totally agreed. Totally agreed. Did you hear the boost, by the way? Yeah. Yeah, I did. I did. They were getting kind of stark there. Uh, they weren't place, saying so. Arujo. <laughs> <laughs> Not this time. Not yet. Not yet. Uh, a couple more things to touch on real quick. This is already a long sports prime game time uh, for the first game of the year. But as rough as Franco Bar Mateus Asetu were at the beginning of the game, where it seemed very easy for San Jose to progress through the midfield and draw in, in particular, Caleb Wiley and Andrew Gutman into bad areas and create space for Christian Espinosa on the wing. They recovered pretty they totally well. They redeemed themselves. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe not entirely. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I, I think that first goal is, is still mostly on just poor pressing and largely bad positioning for the midfield. And even Gonzalo said as much after the fact. He's like, I, I didn't love the 
active positioning is what they've referred to it as before the act of defense you know where you try to position yourself after you lose the ball in places that make it effective to counter press and win the ball back and everything like that didn't love what abara was doing at that point mm-hmm. but he agreed too that you know at some point though he, he recovered and, yeah. and found a way to impact the game yeah it's probably very related that atlanta had san jose pinned in at that point yeah you know an up and down game is not good for franco abara right for right all the reasons you can guess yep you know, but yep. a game where he can just be that like linchpin defensively, and he might be he might be effective dude, enough. He had some punishing challenges too. Like he had some where it's like, <laughs> oh my gosh, he just went right through that guy, <laughs> but he took the ball. You know, so that's why he's there. He's a tank, and if you can, you know, get him in positions where he's doing the things that he's good at, then he's going to play better. But if you have yeah. him having to run around and cover a bunch of space and you, you're playing that kind of game, he's going to struggle. So mm-hmm. I was, I was honestly feeling like really happy for him. Like even like seeing him in the locker room after, after the game, like I didn't say anything mm-hmm. to him, but he was, uh, he also had some uh, contributed to some vibes. You know, we were talking to Andrew and he like put his phone out like he, cause he was right next to us. He put his phone out like he was also recording and like asking questions and stuff. So it was good to see him uh, in that mood consider. I mean, he obviously hasn't heard what we've said about him, but uh, I, when I criticize a player like him, especially for like the reasons I've criticized Franco Abaro, which is for like fitness and things like that, uh, I don't feel good saying it. It's not like I don't like the guy. I hope that he can continue to you know take this game and and build on it because if he can continue to be put in these situations where he is doing these kinds of things, he can be an incredibly important player for this team going forward. For sure. They've always for needed sure. a kind of lockdown holding midfielder. They've been searching for that for a few years. Yeah. I, I'm I'm not convinced he will get there again because of the physical right. limitations. And I think in general, that central midfield is going to continue to be the weak link in this team going forward until they maybe sign someone in the summer or bring in any kind of reinforcement. But as long as the weak link isn't completely breaking the entire chain you're gonna be fine and he can get to that point where he's not a total yeah. detriment to right. the team like you know the, it, the, it can happen yeah the team is gonna kind of like live and die by how well this midfield pairing plays whether it's these two or so you can get sosa and marsevich involved in this but i think the team's gonna kind of go the way that this midfield plays and in general i just thought that the two of them combined were played good enough for Atlanta United to win this game, which obviously mm-hmm. they end up doing, maybe not in the fashion you would hope for, but it, it was it was sufficient enough. And uh, again, you just hope that they can build on this, but especially Abara. And that's a good midfield at San Jose. Guereza was good, I thought. Jackson Newell's there. Uh, Jamiro Montero is deep. Montero is kind of everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. Right and they handled it well and handled a lot of like really shitty time wasting. Well, is also they were they were up for the fight. Yeah, you know, and that kind of brings us to something that you were mentioning a second ago, Joe, about the vibes in the locker room, and a few things. Right, last year it kind of felt like you were walking into a wake at times when you were going in there. It was a little bit bummer at times. Uh, it was not that this time. Everything was really positive, really happy, but even still, like I think after wins last year, like even the Seattle game. Right, I don't think the vibes were as good in the locker room. It just seemed like everyone kind of liked each other mm-hmm. in a way they didn't openly. At least what we got to saw last year. Mm-hmm. Does yeah, that make sense. Yeah, totally. You had like, yeah, again, the little stories of like Franco Barra kind of jumping into Gutman's interview and doing something, and Gutman also, uh, you know, Derek was on the other side of Gutman and. You know, they're like kind of giving each other jabs and stuff all in like good playful fun, though. Brad did the same thing about Gutman. It's like, yeah, I wouldn't have had to make that save if Gutman was defending or whatever. But obviously, mm. they're just kind of like laughing about it. Um, I think that st- kind of stuff is is huge for a team. And you hope that this can just be a good fresh start. And, you know, some people might not like this. But again, I, I think that for all the Joseph Martinez meant to this team, I, I think that him not being in the locker room is going to really just benefit the entire group as a whole. Cause it just, he, I, I how do I phrase this? Like, I don't want to say like the other players were like worried about him or like concerned about what he thought about what was going on, but there was just some sort of aura that 
he had obviously every player in that locker room knew what how much Joseph was adored by all the fans and um it just feels a lot freer now it just feels like hmm. everybody can just kind of be themselves and it, it it feels like a nice fresh start for this group I think Derek helps with that too totally you know just a really engaging personality mm-hmm. and that's been missing mm-hmm What's been missing? It's it's good to have. It's good to have. And, <laughs> and I'll correct Guzan too. You know, like Guzan was mm-hmm. not talking to media and obviously not involved with the games and everything. And certainly we've criticized him in the past for, you know, the on field stuff, the goalkeeping. But I really think that the leadership that he provides in the locker room and Gutman mentioned it, you know, just the way that he talked to the team at halftime. I think that obviously the team on the field has a lot more confidence with a, you know, ex- veteran experienced player behind them between the sticks. Um, I think he just adds so much to the group. And I thought it was interesting the way that he kind of shut down Doug's very fair question to him. Like Doug kind of started mm-hmm. the conversation asking him about, you know, did it start to feel like last year and Guzan like was, I think on like purposefully making a show about yes, shutting down that question. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Extremely official. Like, I don't think Brad Guzan is like, Oh, they can't ask me about last year. Yeah. Yeah. He may actually, I don't know. Well, and I, and I don't think he was, it, it may like, if you read the quotes, it might come off. Like he's like being a jerk to Doug and he, it, like he kind of was, but I think it was playful. Like it was, he was kind of like playfully being a jerk on purpose for a reason, um, which is to just try to, again, you want to kind of it to be a clean slate and to be forward thinking at this point in time. Mm-hmm. That. And I mean, Andrew and Derek getting involved with responding to criticism on social media. Yeah. Uh, oh yeah. I you know. <laughs> I don't what, think what that's did Derek, great. What did Derek say? Derek or, just quote tweeted he, uh, Andrew like okay. it's real quiet now kind okay, of thing. Okay. Okay. You know? I didn't see that. Um, you know I don't love that. <laughs> like, <as a> person. <laughs> oh really? <laughs> uh, all the people being like, yeah savage got his ass oh like, yeah I don't think yeah you're right. that's true like, that's true whatever yeah, yeah, yeah. you know um yeah. but from an on-field perspective like austin nobody believed in us their way to second place in the east or the west last year you know it, athletes like we've talked about kind of need these extra boosts yeah yeah of things you know so it doesn't matter whether or not like me and you appreciate it or right. anything like that right uh, on the field it kind of matters if they have an edge to them, a chip on their shoulder. And I'm getting a sense of that this year more than in past years where it seems like there's maybe more urgency to correct what's been wrong the last few years. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. We'll see if that's actually true or not. So I kind of liked what, what Gutman, you know, like, like Gutman's response, obviously it was to Felipe and I love Felipe too. You know, it's like nothing against him or anything. Um, I liked just kind of what it said about Gutman's mentality that he was like, he, like he feels like, he has people that he needs to prove wrong or he's just like motivated to do that. I agree with you though. Like, like what that then does kind of in the, in the metaverse is a little bit ugly and stuff. And just in the way that everybody starts responding to things and, and all that stuff. But I just thought that it kind of said a lot, um, that he would, that he would do that. Yeah. I mean, it was like immediately after the final whistle too. I don't know how he saw it that quickly. Like did he yeah. grab his, whatever. I don't I have questions, but yeah, you know, I, I interviewed him all back and that was the general vibe I got from him was that, you know, no one believes in me because I went to Indiana, uh, you know, or interesting. no one believes in me because I'm a college kid, bald. And, you know, and bald. I don't know. No, not that. <laughs> <laughs> How dare you put those words in my mouth? I'm bald. so uh, I can say that. <laughs> I can't. Uh, so, you know, I, I think that's just the vibe. And if it pays off for him, fine. Uh, one more quick thing. Brad Gazan, Miles Robinson, both looked good. Both looked healthy, surprisingly good in my opinion. Like I was surpassed every expectation I had for how they would look in the game, and especially Brad. I was there was no real like blatant errors that I could see from him outside of kind of some of the normal frustrations that we typically have with Brad with regards to you know distribution and all that kind of stuff. But he was making some really bad errors from what we saw in the preseason. Granted, we hadn't seen him in a while, so there was a lot of practice and preseason games that he had played in that we weren't able to see. So it was really good for him to play a clean game and for Miles. I, I told him just give him gave him a quick congrats in the in the locker room, and I'm sure you know he just put something out on Twitter too. Um, I'm sure that's going to be a huge confidence boost for both those guys, just personally, to get back out on that field and and just feel that again. I didn't notice Miles much because San Jose really didn't have much of the ball mm-hmm. over the last like two thirds of the game. 
But there were a couple transition moments where he chased down Cade Cow, who is not a slow human, who is very much not coming off an Achilles tear, you know, but chased him down and won the ball back. You know, got in a position to win the ball back. And, you know, if he's doing that in game one of his return back, that that's a really, really encouraging sign. Yeah. Yeah. No doubt. Joe Patrick, an encouraging sign for the viewers, the listeners, the readers right now is that we are going to a quick break. The break being a thank you to our the presenting partner of this show, which is Lucid FC. Back again. Back again. Lucid FC. Our favorite partners. Um, that stands for Lucid Footwear and Clothing, by the way. It's not a football club. It's footwear and Clothing. Uh, really cool store. You can see them at lucidfc.us on the old internets. They've also got a shop in Buckhead that's open by appointment and walk-ins from 1 to 8 p.m. daily. It's located at 3209 Paces Ferry Place. And if you do go on to their website, lucidfc.us, you can use DSS as your season-long promo code for free shipping in the United States. They've got new stuff coming out every Thursday. They've got all kinds of like crazy-looking street style, like kind of urban streetwear, European style, but they're local. So cool, guys. Check them out. What a read. What an ad read. Great work, <laughs> Joe Patrick. Great work to our listeners who had plenty of questions. About this one, Jacob, I says, okay, obviously pumped for the result, but how concerned should we be that 90 minutes of the game looked like 22, 22, uh, where do we want to like, I don't want to do DEF CON because no one understands how DEF CON actually works. Mm-hmm. Everybody gets the remember. numbers reversed. It's yeah, it's either reversed or it's not. And I can't remember. Um, let's do like a, out of 10, like how concerned should you actually be from game one where Atlanta United was missing four starters. That they reverted to some of the same tendencies as 2022. One is not concerned whatsoever. Yeah. Um. Three. Cool. I was gonna go four. Yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't worry too much. Even if they had lost this one, we would have been saying it's just the first game. Mm-hmm. You know. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> we we were actually already saying that before uh, <laughs> before the oh. game started. Yeah. That's always in the training ground for it's just the first game doesn't matter and like part of it is because you're still playing without that striker like you mentioned at the top of the show like you're still playing without the striker that the team played through all last year and I think was a a big reason why we saw them play the way they did last year because they were without such a key player and they were just rotating through all sorts of different guys so let I will judge them a lot more harshly once we see Yakomakis come into this team and start to play regularly. And then obviously some of these other players who are going to be regular starters start to play regularly. And if they're still playing like that, then obviously I'll be start to be a lot more concerned. Well, that leads to a very good question from super soft free kick party. Says Conway and Barry only had 16 touches combined. This is very similar to the trend from last season. Are the strikers, the problem Uh, Barry makes it five different strikers since last season who can't get on the ball. Is this a systemic issue that even Gigi might not be able to, to solve it's a very very fair question possibly yeah yeah it's possible it could be systemic but i don't think we'll truly know until we see a quality striker get in there and uh i wasn't able to see obviously miami's game live with joseph playing last night but i did watch the highlights and to me from what the little bit i saw it looked like similar issues to him just like not super mobile he got the ball in some nice spots, but didn't do much with it. I just say this to say that I think Yakubakis is going to be way better than Joseph showed during kind of the end of his tenure in Atlanta. And so, yeah, I just want to see, I just want to see what Yakubakis looks like before I kind of make a determination on whether this is actually on kind of like Pineda's coaching abilities. Yeah. Just a quick refresh on that last year, Atlanta United's touch percentage, which just that's exactly what it sounds like. The amount of touches you get. Uh, compared to the rest of your team for strikers was like historically low. It was like shockingly low. Now, part of that is because Atlanta United has a lot of touches elsewhere. They're very high possession, but still you had a clear tendency to not get your strikers involved in the game. And I, I think it's fair to worry about that. If it starts happening with GG, you're exactly right, Joe, then some questions need to be asked and they need to figure it out. But I mean, we've only seen replacement level, probably below replacement level dudes in that position for the better part of like a year and a half now. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. So let's get the DP in there. See how it goes. I imagine it'll be a lot better. Let's move on to this question from cursive kid who says, 
does Almada stay the whole year? Uh, after last night, it's uh, getting a, it's gonna it's gonna get harder to keep him around. I think. Yeah. Um. Hmm. Man, it would be such a bad look for the team to sell him in the in the middle of the year, especially if he's like, you know, they sell him. It probably means he's playing amazing and. They have an offer they can't refuse because he's leading the MVP race. Um, uh, it would be a bad look. So what I kind of have been hedging, the way I've been hedging this question for a long time is I could see them making a deal to sell him this summer, but somehow retaining him for like the rest of the MLS season and before he goes to his new club. Mm-hmm. Again, that sounds a lot easier to say right now for, and from my perspective than it is from a club that's spending 30 million on him or however much it might be, who obviously is going to want that player to come in and play for them (laughs) with with all the money that they spend. So it's a tough one, but I mean, I have to say, yes, it's just so hard for me to see him leaving in the middle of the year. If he's playing amazing. Garth might do it. He's done it before. It it would be, it would be ballsy as hell. I'll give him that. I mean, that would be, (laughs) that'd be wild. You think it will? Process, Joe. What do you think? You... Uh, no, it's my gut call. But interesting. Would I be all that surprised in the end? So, what do you think? Let me ask. Uh, so, what do you think it will oh. take for him to leave midseason? What kind of transfer fee are we talking? God, like more than Miguel. Yeah. More than oh, more. Davies. Yeah, I'm thinking thirty-five, yeah, thirty something. Yeah, it could happen. Could happen. <sighs> but, hmm. Hmm. We'll see. Uh, Ralph says, when do we start the Louise Araujo discourse, i.e. when and who his replacement is? I'm not ready to bell on Louise yet, but the discourse the discourse started last was, year sometime. Okay. I was going to say, if we're talking this year, I think it started about 56 minutes ago. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the discourse started I mean, with it's... me and Joe grumbling under our, our breath in the press <laughs> yeah. box. Yeah. Hoping no one could hear us. Yeah. No, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it, it's worth, it's de- like, it's a conversation that's worth having, you know, because there, there's clearly issues there that you hope get cleaned yeah. up. But um, another frustrating thing with Louise last night, too, by the way, was just not unlocking the final ball in transition. Just not getting the ball off his feet. Just make the pass quicker. Like you're looking at the person. You're mm-hmm. looking at Derek making a run out wide. He's got space. Play him in. Why are you taking 15 more touches? This was a problem for everyone. It's a Brazilian thing. It's like Rosetto syndrome here. Right, exactly. Exactly. But it was a problem for everyone last night in transition. And Gonzalo remarked that he was not super happy with transition moments after the game, offensively and defensively. So that needs to get sorted. Just play the final ball. Yeah. And here's here's the the bright side I'll say about this is that Gonzalo Pineda actually said the right things about this after the game. Not talking about, you know, boosting Luis's confidence, but saying like, no, we practice getting the ball into the primary assist zones. We want to do that. Like he knows, he, uh, Pineda understands the problem. Like he will be having this conversation with Luis this week, I'm sure. So it's not like it's not like we're dealing with a situation where the manager is kind of like, "What are you guys talking about?" You know, which I think we have experienced that before with regards to certain aspects of players of the team at some points over the last several years. So. Jacob I says, obviously with Garth and our Garth in our player acquisition might look a bit different, but do you think we'll continue to try and find players like Almada and Almiron? Uh, so fun to have a game changer like them on the pitch. Uh, yeah, I think they'll continue to try and find good players. <laughs> yeah, right. Like, so by Almada and Almiron, I, I I assume that Jacob was referring to like young South American players, but yeah, like and the answer there is no, right? Probably no. But players that can make impacts like Almiron and Almada, absolutely, obviously. And uh, I'm actually really interested to see what kind of players they might target because, again, when we talk about the resources that the club has, it's like when when you're Robbie and you're looking in the in your you know at your list of players that you mm-hmm. think are going to be good fits. That list gets a lot longer when uh, when you've got a lot more money to spend. So I want to know yeah. who's on that damn list. <laughs> it'll be older it'll be older uh the first thing though they got to get rid of those u22 spots because of the young dp rule limiting them yeah uh, gotta have one u22 to get the third old dp in got it got it 
Curse of Kids says most at fault for the San Jose goal is in the defense. It's sloppy pressing by Conway or Uju and Osetu, all getting dribbled past that created the opportunity. I think that's a pretty fair assessment of that and pretty fair totally. assessment of why there were issues uh, defensively, especially at the start of the game. Great call by Curse of Kid. And uh, I think it's Pierce. Is it Pierce? Is it? Or I am so. I thinking of some? Okay. Um, and that's just a good comment because I'm, I'm, you know, not everything is down to like, the final ball, like what was happening at the final ball and whoever was mm-hmm. doing what, like that's whose fault it was. Like now, like usually there's a lot of contributors to a goal conceded or a goal scored. It's not just down to, you know, the few players that seem like they're around the ball at the time of that the decisive action happens. GoJD says, are we going to regret the Lennon extension more than the Hosetsu one in the long run? Uh, well, the Lennon extension is technically longer. <laughs> so... I don't know. What do you think of Brooks last night? I didn't think he was good. That I didn't think he was good. Think he was it, good it, it was very. It was interesting to see. Like, yeah, it was one of those ones where he kind of filled up the stat sheet, um, which made his ratings look good and stuff on all the the apps that have the algorithms that compile these, you know, their own ratings. But yeah, I just thought there were some bad decisions at times. Um, but again, I'll give this to Brooks, and I, it's why I think that you know the team won't regret the Lennon extension which is that I, I feel like you get at least a baseline of you know work rate and at that position that he plays that's really important um he's very fit and healthy he doesn't he hasn't had an injury history so I know it's not sexy to kind of just like outline these things but honestly I think they're they're pretty important in the long term yeah I would have rather had the new midfielder this year I would too like if that's the trade we're making like in an ideal world you're right yeah. yeah, in an ideal world, yeah, it wouldn't be this way, but yeah. Heathwood says, remove all the well-earned skepticism from the last couple of years of performances where Hosetsu and Ibarra bad or merely mediocre. I thought I saw Hosetsu looking forward a bit more and Ibarra hitting some unusually adventurous passes. I, I think Ibarra has always kind of been a dude who looks forward when he gets the ball. It's just a question of whether or not he's going to get the ball. Mm-hmm. You know, is he going to be able to cover enough ground to get there? Uh, but yeah, I think we talked about it. They were... For like seventy minutes, pretty good, pretty acceptable. Yeah, and like Rosetto still continue like, like Rosetto is is technical and um is fine typically in kind of the middle areas of the field. It was it was killing me last night. They were kind of on a break, and Rosetto's running forward, and I forget who it was with him. It may have been Etienne, but uh. Like Rosetto gets forward to a point where he's like, he can't go forward anymore. And now he's just got to, and he started like doing a little like passing rotation in a circle and it actually worked. They ended up like breaking out of the little bit of pressure they were in and continue to move forward. But it's just so funny. It's like, there's a force field around certain areas of the field where Rosetto refuses to go into. It's almost similar to Jurgen Dam in an extent, but he's like Jurgen Dam central <laughs> midfielder. Like, I was and, thinking about both the Nagby heat chart and the Dam heat chart. So, oh yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. Someone needs to make make those <laughs> for Hosetsu. Um, I'm gonna task Patrick from the Discord with doing that for some reason. Feels like a good call. Uh, let's see. Uh, Logan says, "How is Gutman always finding the most dangerous spaces to occupy in attack? Uh, he has a lot of freedom. He's talked about it before. Gonzalo offers him just a ton of freedom, and you know he ends up playing second striker sometimes, like playing off." the striker and it's super interesting but i don't know if there's really a how i think it's just gutman exists and does things you know i think it's some players just have a natural awareness of like it's like spatial awareness you know um of like where where the opportunities are and i think that to your point about the freedom i think he has that freedom because of his fitness because because mm. he can get back and he can kind of get back to his position and recover very well where a lot of other players can't yeah, and, and him, Caleb, and now Derek, I think have a really good understanding of like how to cover for each other in the situation, so it doesn't become a defensive liability. And it's really fun when it works. Really fun when it works. Uh, speaking of really fun, Pineda Head seventeen says, "Was that the best post-COVID crowd? Maybe not the biggest, but certainly loudest and most optimistic." I think that's very true. It was loud from the beginning. People were very engaged in the game, and it felt a little different. I don't know if that was your read too. I'm sorry. I wasn't paying attention. <laughs> crowd loud noise. Yeah. Yes. Crowd, crowd was awesome. I mean, and again, I, since the press box glass is down and everything, I don't know if it's like, 
always like this <laughs> and now I'm just kind of in it for the first time, but it seemed before the game really electric. And obviously when Almada scored those goals, it was like crazy loud. Like, you know, guy hits a game winning home run kind of roar, which was awesome. Yeah. My ears hurt. Speaking of that, Cinco Reyes says, how did the press box handle Almada's second? Like, did y'all lose it along with the rest of the stadium? Now that the glass is gone. I did pretty good. I stayed I stayed focused on the task at hand and just let my, my Twitter fingers do the talking for me, which is like all caps yelling, you it, know, like normal. Nothing new there. Did you see the video that Jared Smith took? Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Tyler Pilgrim from Scarves and Spikes, Scarves and Spikes, uh, like stood up right in the middle of the shot. It reminded me of the Marta bus when the uh, Georgia Dome was get, was imploding. Like he just like stands up in the way. It's kind of funny. Um, it's awesome. Uh, but actually, I'm usually I'm pretty. I feel like I'm decent at like maintaining my composure. The first one, there was something about it because I, I, it was just one of those shots where I just felt like it had no chance of going in. It to me, it just looked like. I don't know. Just I've seen a lot of shots kind of come from that angle, and from we're, we're kind of like directly over top of it, and you just expect it to fly over the bar. And when it didn't, I just let out. A, I don't know if you heard this, but I was like, "Oh shit!" <laughs> like a, like I was like pretty loud to the point where the comms people definitely heard me. And they told me afterwards, but um, it wasn't a visual reaction, but just like audibly, I was very surprised at that happening. Yeah, no, the, the closest thing I can kind of remember to it, I think there was maybe a, there was a NYCFC goal that went off the underside of the crossbar like that, I think. But also the Giovinco free kick back in like 2017. That On went off the underside day? of the crossbar. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that was the one that kind of like, it sparked that for me. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Pretty incredible, honestly. It's weird going back and watching it. He like hesitates for a second. Like he thinks about shooting. Goes, nah, I'm not going to. And it says, all right, fuck it. And just <laughs> kicks it. You know? <laughs> it's pretty awesome. And then the best part of it, of all of it, I think, is Andrew Gutman falling to his knees. Yeah. Like he's just been hit by, like, <laughs> yeah. God himself. Right. Yeah. You know? It's like he's at a revival meeting. Yeah. You know? And he's yeah, right. just got hit exactly. with the, the Holy Spirit. You know? Exactly. It's phenomenal. Phenomenal. Uh, let's see. Uh, I think that's it. I think yeah. we'll stop right there Jared Patrick anything to add before we get out of here Ooh, no that was a good one um keep it locked to uh, the patreon patreon.com slash five strike final or we'll have Jared Smith on this week can't wait for that conversation should be a good hang and uh, more from the training ground ahead of another Saturday night game love these Saturday night games by the way because I mean it's a late night for us in media but I think it's the absolute best time this is the best time slot in MLS and just for a, a fan in general the environment rules everything is fun i enjoyed just kind of being able to kind of enjoy my day without having like a game popped right in the middle of it mm-hmm. you know uh i liked it a lot because our night our night is shot when we're working one of these games whether it starts at 4 p.m or 7 30 p.m so might mm-hmm. as well make it when it's nice and dark outside and crowds buzzing and everything so can't wait for next works weekend. for me works for me all right joe let's get out of here bye y'all Thanks for tuning in, everyone, to this completely arbitrary internet content piece.